welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking with Adeline Coe. She is the founder and CEO of Sabbatical Beauty, a former tenured professor. She's such an interesting woman because she is tackling the beauty industry from a political perspective. And so we're going to talk about that today. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener funded and woman run. Visit patreon.com slash start me up to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. Now please enjoy my conversation with Adeline Co. Welcome to the show, Adeline. Hi, glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're you're such an interesting woman, and I'm really glad that I've got you on my show today because I, I want to just emphasize that I think what you're doing is not only unique, but it's, it's so inspirational because uh, we're going to get into everything that you do. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned that some of the men who are listening are going to be like, oh, this is just a show for women. And it isn't because mm-hmm. I believe I mean, I don't think you necessarily I haven't seen that you sell your products specifically to men, but men can enjoy the benefits of them as well as buying nice gifts for the women in their lives. So there is that. But um, <laughs> I wanted to kind of get that out of the way because I, I, it's unfortunate sometimes that we peg things as male and female um, when things can cross over, whether it's a movie or anything. But it's just because these are products made by a woman and, and, and used by women doesn't mean that this show will not have any benefit toward men. So just have to say that um, straight away. Now. Um, <laughs> since that is out of the way, before we get into your um, company, I'd just like to little know, know a little bit about you. Would you please tell my listeners who you are? Of course. So my name is Adeline Ko, and I'm originally from Singapore. I came to the U.S. when I was 21 to do my Ph.D. in comparative literature. I did that at the University of Michigan. Um, I became a professor after I finished my Ph.D., And while I was a professor, I was concentrating on race and gender studies. In particular, I was a post-colonial studies professor. So I was always really interested um, in studying systemic injustices and Mm -hmm. fighting to make the world more a more just and equitable place. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not find that to really be possible in my journey as an academic. I found that I had a lot of pushback. So I found my way outside of academia actually in 2015, 2016, when I started making my own skincare products. Um, I was, I had suffered with really bad skin when I first arrived in the US because my skin didn't know how to deal with all the dry weather, the cool dry weather. Mm -hmm. Singapore is a tropical, uh, has a tropical climate. So I, my skin didn't know what to do when I arrived here. When I was in graduate school, I kind of suffered through this this really dry, terrible, acne-prone skin because I didn't really have money to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. When I graduated and got my job, I found a dermatologist who told me that all moisturizers were a scam, (laughs) so she didn't really (laughs) help me as well. Uh, Things changed in 2015 when I discovered Korean beauty and Korean skincare. Um, The product made a lot of sense to me because a lot of Korean skincare products use a lot of herbal ingredients like ginseng, for example, Um, herbs that I grew up eating because my mom and grandma would make all these herbal soups for me. So I knew that these uh, these ingredients would do really well 
on the inside. And so I thought maybe they will also do well topically. So I tried Korean skincare products. My skin got a lot better, but it didn't get a ton better. So what happened was that I started doing more research as an academic. And I realized that most products will say that they have something great on the ingredient list like ginseng. But if you actually look at the ingredient list itself, ginseng will be at the bottom of the ingredient mm-hmm. list. So I decided that to make ginseng the top of the ingredient list, I would basically have to make products for myself. And when I went on academic sabbatical, I was actually writing a book about the whiteness of people of color. I took a break from the book and I started doing a lot of research into cosmetic chemistry and I started formulating my line where ginseng would be the top of the ingredient list. My skin got a ton better. And then my friends, the academic friends, were like, make stuff for us. And everything changed in January 2016 when a Slate article came out about how these women professors are taking on the 10-step Korean skincare routine as an act of radical feminist self-care. <laughs> and yeah, and that kind of made me think, oh, I can leave this, this profession, which I, I really don't like. And so um, I continued doing sabbatical beauty. I went gung-ho with it. And in 2017, I left my academic job. So it's been seven years since I quit academia and have been doing this job at Sabbatical Beauty. Wow. Full time. So what is it? Now, I just want to tell everybody, too, that I'm not being paid or anything to do this. I have used some of your products, and I have to say they are quite unique. And the way that they're packaged, the way that they feel on your face, I'm especially fond of the uh, facial cleanser as well as the Mm -hmm. licorice mask. And what I've noticed, and again, this is where men can come in because... You know, I'm sure men have issues with feeling like their pores may be too big or whatever. And I have never really cared about that. Like, I haven't had an issue so much with that. But I did notice after using the mask, not only was my face just, it felt so good. It was Mm -hmm. like my pores got smaller. And I know that for people who are into, like, smaller pores, (laughs) that's a big, (laughs) fat positive. And so... Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm not being paid to say this. I'm not being coerced in any way. I just think you have such an interesting and unique take on this. Um, so I want to ask you. a little bit about the fact that um, how did the political angle come into play specifically when you were putting together your company and, you know, your whole idea, your vision for this company? So that's a really good question. Um and also just to piggyback off what you were saying about a product so the products that you've been using are part of our brand new line beauty is political mm-hmm. um and you're talking about the cleanser is the collective healing aloe cleanser mm-hmm. i called it collective healing because i think that's what we really need now as a global mm-hmm. community is more healing and that's what the, the cleanser tries to do it bring down redness and inflammation and the licorice mass is called solidarity roots licorice mass mm-hmm. because I think the way out of the morass that we currently are in is to really find solidarity with one another um, and to really root ourselves and ground ourselves into the earth. So you can also see that the names of this collection are also very deeply political. Mm-hmm. But to go back to your larger question about how did I actually start infusing politics in the skincare line, a lot of it came from my past experience and past training as an academic. As I told you, I was a race and gender studies professor. In particular, my field was post-colonial studies. And I went into academia because I really wanted to know why the world was so screwed up. 
I wanted to know why the world was so screwed up and I wanted to be able to help fix things and make things better, mm -hmm. which is why I think I always gravitated to studying systemic injustices. And so um, when I left academia and decided that I wanted to create this beauty company, it was a very uncomfortable moment for me in the sense that I never really wanted to be part of the beauty industry. The beauty industry, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of like you before I created my company. I, I never went to Sephora. I never spent a lot of money on beauty and skincare products. I just kind of thought, you know, this is all for the male gaze and why, why am I participating in it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when I entered the beauty industry, I kind of knew that I didn't want to just make every other beauty company any other beauty every I don't want to make it standard beauty company because I don't want to just pander to you know I don't want to make people feel bad about their mm -hmm. skin make people feel bad about themselves in order to sell products I don't want to you know feed into anybody's insecurity I didn't want to like you know um, make people feel that they were somehow not enough and I also really wanted to bring my previous training and background into what I was doing. And like I was saying, my my academic career really, I spent a lot of time studying why are things the way they are and why, why systemic injustices become the way that they are and how they influence us in our everyday lives and how they limit us. So I wanted also to make sure that I brought this perspective into my company, into my, my product. And it's not always been easy because I've had people tell me, especially before 2020, I've had people get very upset by the political bent of my company. Hmm. So you, um, you've been trying the beauty is political line, mm -hmm. that's the line that we just launched this month. But in previous years, I've also had explicitly political lines. So in 2018, I had the Voice Collection, which I launched right after Kavanaugh got onto the Supreme Court. And um, in 2020, uh, leading up to the presidential election, I launched a wear a mask, um, wear a mask in Caroline, and I donated funds from para funds from that line to Swing Left in order to oh, right. make sure that we weren't taken over by a right wing autocrat. <laughs> so, so um, the, the the political stuff has never been new as something that I've been doing consistently, because I kind of I, I really feel that like every, everything that we do is every as you know the personal is political everything that we do is political mm -hmm. but beauty specifically i think is understudied and underappreciated in how political it is um, the easiest way to explain why beauty is political in my opinion uh, would go to the famous black revolutionary thinker audrey lord who talked about how self-care isn't selfish but self-care is an important part of political warfare hmm. and the people talk about that quote a lot but at the same time i think like a really easy way to understand that quote is to just think about yourself and think about how you know if you don't take the time to take care of yourself and it can be a really simple thing, just washing your face, just mm -hmm. putting on some, some nice lotion, just taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't take time to take care of yourself physically, you're going to find it really hard to believe that you are worthy of care. And if you don't feel that you are worthy of your care because your all your care is going to somebody else, which is usually what happens with most women, we're not going to feel as ready to stand up for ourselves, for our rights in the political arena. So even though it sounds like, you know, you're just doing something really silly and mundane, it's not. 
because really taking time and caring for yourself and caring for your body shows to yourself, shows, shows you to yourself that you are really worth more and you should really stand up for yourself and demand more outside of the home. Well, that's a great and important point. I mean, the same argument can be made for the food that you eat because so, yes. many, of, so many of us are, you know, on the go and we're not eating the way we should. And when we, prop, when we get proper nutrients and drink enough water, we feel a lot better. And I, I kind of want to go off a little bit on what you were saying because when I was younger, I'm going to be 55 in July. When I was younger, mm-hmm. I was an actor and I lived in Hollywood and I, you know, was absolutely a person who fell into all of the traps of the patriarchy as far as my physical appearance. I'm six mm-hmm. foot tall. I'm, I have big bones. So I always felt like because of that, I didn't feel that I had enough value. Um, I, you know, even though, and I also s- suffered from acne, which was a huge issue. Um, yep. Knowing that I was going to maybe be, in fact, I was on days of our lives for seven years. And one day oh wow, it wasn't a big Amazing. role, but I played a police officer and nobody really uh-huh. cared about me on that show as far as, you know, I, I didn't I didn't even have a name. I was like off, I was an officer, but I didn't have a name. But there was this one uh-huh. particular time when I had mild to moderate acne. And so mm-hmm. I would get um, cysts on my face. They, they weren't poppable. You know, they were just deep and buried. And yep. so there was this one particular time I had three of them on and it was the right side of my face. Uh-huh. For some reason, it was always the worst. So I had three of them and they all merged and they they formed this massive lump on my face. And Days of Our Lives called me into work and I, I lied. And I, I said that I was broken out in a rash and I couldn't work. But um, speaking to what you, know, what you were saying, it, when I was younger, I was so wrapped mm-hmm. up in all of what I was told was beautiful. And yeah. you know what is portrayed as beautiful, what people generally accept as beautiful. And mm-hmm. I fed the patriarchy myself because, and I still do sometimes because I'm so insecure and, and it doesn't necessarily come from that part that's vain and selfish. It's, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not that, but I'm just saying it's more from that. I would look at myself and I would think I'm not meeting the American beauty standard. Therefore I am not valuable. And yep. I think that your products are a fantastic way to kind of re, um, I don't know, realign or re, reformat how we think of beauty products because I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to look and feel your best, whether that's wearing right. makeup or wearing a bare face, but underneath it all is the quality of your skin. And that has a lot to do with confidence. And so I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm wondering what kind of feedback are you getting from people who use their line specifically about their skin? Oh, once you actually use the products, everybody is usually in love. I I get this comment a lot. We came for the politics and stayed for the product. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I just also wanted to say that what, thank you for sharing that story. And I, I think what you're saying is just so important because so much of the beauty industry, I mean, especially, you know, like five, 10, 15 years ago, it's all all about the patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? It, it, and it's all about this very narrow white supremacist patriarchy also where, you know, everybody that's considered beautiful that's on advertisements and, or anything is like a skinny 20-year-old blonde lady. Like, that's not, that's not everybody in the right. world. 
and it's saying when, when you're seeing only those faces and bodies then you're saying okay so everybody who doesn't fit that 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 type that mm-hmm. face that body that skin tone that size that age then you can't be beautiful anymore right and i think there's something that's really really damaging about that i think um you know recent more recently in the last five years with uh, the rise of Rihanna's Fenty Beauty and things like that. We're starting to see a little more diversity, but we aren't really seeing diversity at a very deep level. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I also try to do in how I choose representation for my little skincare company. So if you take a look at my website or if you take a look at my Instagram, I choose people that don't fit that ideal norm. Mm-hmm. I, I choose people who I think are beautiful inside and outside. Mm-hmm. And I try to kind of elevate that and make them what to me, what I feel like you know, I'm trying to make them the standard of beauty. I've had a PR agency say to me one time after looking at my material, they said that the people that you choose to represent your line aren't the usual suspects. <laughs> And I think that's correct. Like mm-hmm. I think that in order for us to really have a deep discussion on how like, you know, beauty can elevate us as a society instead of limit us and restrict us, we need to change the beauty standard. Mm-hmm. We need to open up the beauty standard. And we need to also question why is there a beauty standard? And, you know, should we get rid of it? Do we need to expand it? All of those things. And we can't do this as long as we only have very limited types of people who are represented as beauty. Yes, and also, I mean, the people who are running the beauty industry, I would assume, are probably lots of men. Um, yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that mm-hmm. they make the decisions in Hollywood. Um, so often they make the decisions just because we are living in a patriarchy. So as long as we have men running everything, and it, thankfully, that's not the only case. It is getting a little bit better, especially with a company like yours, because you are coming from such a unique perspective. And I think, I think and I hope, that more people kind of uh, take a cue from you. And what I, I, I did hear that you were trolled and kicked off of Facebook and Instagram oh, advertising. Is yes. that true? Because you were too political. <laughs> so what's that about? Yeah. So remember I told you that this wasn't the first time that I had done a political skincare line. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2020, leading up to the election, I, I was running Facebook ads and I actually signed up with Facebook specifically as somebody who could run political ads. Like they made me submit my ID using a registered mm-hmm. notary. Like I had to go through all the, all, all the stuff in order to like show, you know, we were legitimate. I had to submit my my business EIN number. So I was approved to run political ads. And then right before the election, they just Ugh. cut off all access. They just said that, you know, you, you, you have violated our terms of service and there was no recourse at all like when i submitted to try to get an appeal i think it was probably automated there was no human being that i could ever talk to it just said no you are now forever banned from using facebook and instagram advertising and this was in 2020 yeah we're still banned wow (laughs) we're still banned there's still nobody i can talk to like facebook is such meta now it's such Mm -hmm. a screwed up company because they, they're so big and they're so, they, they are so disorganized that one hand doesn't know what the other hand mm-hmm. is doing. As they were banning me from Facebook advertising, 
they also had ad representatives calling me, asking me to place ads with them. Oh my God. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Wow. And when I said, hey, you banned me, can we talk about this? And then they were like, oh, we don't know what's going on. And then the ad people would just fade away. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I had my own experience. I had a very thriving, engaged Facebook page as well as political pages. And in 2018, uh, Facebook yeah. got rid of all of them. I think yep. it, there was an article about it in the Washington Post. I believe it was like eight or 900 pages plus the profiles that ran them um, were gone. And that happened to me. And when you talk about the fact that nobody was there to help you, um, it was yep. funny because I actually found two people. I found two people who did have like, you know, they worked at Facebook and both of them told me your page was uh, taken down by mistake and it's going to go mm. back up and then it never did. And it's like you can never get anybody over on Facebook. So it's like you're you right. Really it's can't. just too big. It's so like, annoying. They, they did. I, I mean, it's something my, 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 my understanding of Facebook is that they don't really put their money where they need to put right. their money, which is like where people who are spending money with them, like advertisers. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't understand, but that is the way it is. <laughs> well, one other thing I, I'm kind of curious about is, I mean, you, you had a huge career change. So I'm yeah. wondering what it was like for you. I mean, I've done this in my life too. I've had like, I was in, I was an actor and then I went into sales and then I went from sales to writing a book. So <laughs> I'm just mm. wondering what advice you might have for people who, you know, are maybe on the cusp of like, I want to change career. What was that like for you? And what advice would you have? So my own personal story is that I knew that I had to leave academia because the, the experiences that I was having in academia were, I found very, very emotionally damaging. I knew that if I continued to stay in that career, I would probably have developed some kind of chronic disease because I was just so incredibly unhappy and bitter um, with what my experience is there. So for me, I, I, it was very instinctual. It wasn't even, it wasn't even like I was the intellectual about it. It was very instinctual. I knew I had to get out. And this was just the way I found myself out. I actually applied for a lot of jobs and nobody gave me an interview. <laughs> I was like, I had to make my own job in yeah. order to leave. Um, so I really listened to myself. I knew that I was deeply unhappy. I knew that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing this and getting unhappy and unhappier. So for any, if somebody were to come to me and to say, you know, I'm thinking about leaving for something else, what's your advice my advice is first of all to really really listen to yourself listen really deep down to yourself and not so much so what other people are mm -hmm. saying or what you think that other people think you should be doing mm -hmm. like i mean i think we all think those things are important but at the end of the day it's you it's you that mm -hmm. has to live with the decision and the results of that decision and not anybody else so when you're making that kind of big change, I think the most important thing to do is to really sit with yourself and ask yourself what you want. It's also helpful to think about, you know, consider scenarios that if things go really well, what would you do? If things go south, what would you do? So you have some plans in the in the works and, you know, things mm -hmm, go either yeah. way. But most importantly, I would say the biggest and most important thing is to listen to yourself and try to block out what other people are saying, but really, really sit down with yourself in order to make that decision.
that is very good advice. And I mean, as somebody who has done that without having any kind of, oh, well, in case thing, I mean, I guess I could have, <laughs> I could always fall back on sales um, because even mm-hmm. before I came in at, be, before I became an actor, I, you know, I was in the perfume industry and, and so I had worked various sales jobs and I knew that I could go get a sales job. Um, but yeah, and then I went from sales to basically writing a book and then, and one thing led to another, which led to me in front of the microphone right now. Um, mm. I didn't start off thinking I was going to be political, but it just, it kind of wound up there. But I, I'm really interested and fascinated and I want to just punch home the importance of listening to yourself because right now I'm going through this journey on my own, just, you know, going over things in my life. There's some spirituality involved, this and that. I'm not going to get into it here, but um, ultimately it is about listening to your inner voice and understanding your own power, which is something at 55 years old, I'm finally starting Mm -hmm. to embrace more fully than I ever have. I mean, as a younger person, I I can't, I don't know what it's been like for you. um, And I don't Mm -hmm. know your age, but I just know that when I was younger, I was kind of a combination of confidence and insecurity. So mm-hmm. on, like, on one hand, I had a lot of confidence in certain areas and then, uh, you know, always my physical appearance and my looks and my skin um, had mm-hmm. something to do with my insecurity. And so as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody who's getting older, I mean, you can't, you can't give that experience to a young person. They have to get that experience to feel it. But still, it's like I'm finally at this point in my life starting to recognize my strength, recognize my value. And I think, you know, when you use the kinds of products that you're creating, and I will say that since I have been using them, um, it it helps. It's just like it's the same idea as if you're going to start a new diet, right? So you're eating all this crap food and you're like, I want to be healthy and so initially, I mean, it's slightly different in that initially with food, you have to get acclimated to the taste. I would only say with these products, you are only getting acclimated to different consistencies. And I mean, you're still mm-hmm. doing the same thing. You're washing your face just like you always would. You're putting cleanser on just like you always, whatever it is you're doing, you're familiar with that. But it what wound up happening is the same as when you go on, I don't like the word diet, but when you change to healthy eating, all of a sudden you start because because it is about self-care and Mm -hmm. and the products are so pure and they do such amazing things to your skin it's like you have almost a new lease on life and I'm not kidding I'm not just saying that that that's what happens when you start using products that are good for you eating foods that are good for you taking care of yourself working out it just changes your entire attitude and so I just yeah. I had to put that out there because I am on this and my my listeners who are subscribed to my patrons only show know this is the journey I'm on. And they they mm-hmm. listen to me rant and rave and talk about all these kinds of issues all the time. So um, whether it's my physical appearance or, or spirit, spiritual. So I think it's fantastic that you're doing this. And, and I just got to emphasize, too, men can also benefit from this because a lot of men are now starting to. Um, you know, feel more comfortable, let's say, purchasing these kinds of products. So it's not just women, even though women are probably the primary customer, I would imagine. I'm curious to know, I know a lot of products out there, and and this is something that I try to stay up with, but there's Mm -hmm. products that contain parabens and xenoestrogens 
and they mm. do things to your body that you don't want. I mean, especially xenoestrogens can actually make you gain weight. And so you could be putting a cream on or using a shampoo that's got these things. And if your body, you know, gets enough of it in, in it, um, enough xenoestrogens, it's going to have a specific reaction. So could you talk about why your line is different? And I know you talk, you, you mentioned that you use, you know, plant-based stuff, but can you just go in a little bit further about why your line is going to be more, um, what's the word, complementary to, to a human body than, you know, something with the xenoestrogen? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to talk about how, um, so my line is different from, I would say, the majority of lines that I see out there because it really, really emphasizes the power of herbal ingredients. So in general, I would say if you go into Sephora or Ulta and you look at the majority of American or Western skincare brands, you will see some brands that have herbal ingredients, but they won't won't really like be um, the big talking point of the product or it will be like, as I said, below lower down on the ingredients list. Mm -hmm. Most American brands, they feature a lot of cosmeceutical ingredients and cosmeceutical ingredients are kind of like um, scientifically proven ingredients to actually work. So like retinol is an example. Um, hyaluronic acid is a naturally occurring substance in your body that now is a really popular skincare ingredient because it helps with deep hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, vitamin A, which is another form of retinol. Um, acids, for example. So you see a lot of Western brands having a lot of these ingredients, but not really doing a lot with herbs. And hmm. how my line is different because, like I've told you before, um, I started this from being very inspired by Korean skincare, which has a lot of herbs. How my line is different is that I really pump up the herbs because I think herbs are very magical, and I believe also that using herbs is like working with the earth, mm-hmm. and we're working with the earth is your skin. I also use cosmeceutical ingredients, but for me, because I use so many herbs, I find that. The herbs help to make the cosmeceutical ingredients less harsh. So retinol, for example, is often known to be a very irritating ingredient. Mm-hmm. So everything that has something like retinol in my line has so many herbs in it that it becomes the retinol becomes much more tolerable. So your skin isn't so sensitized because the herbs provide a really nice support for your skin. Hmm. Um, I have customers often who come in and they are on heavy acne routines prescribed by their dermatologist mm-hmm. and I've been on those routines before they just dried me out yep. they may have worked but they dried yeah. me out and then my skin gets really sensitized and really really uh, irritated really easily my customers who are on those regimens they they put my products in at, along with the doctor's regimen and what they find is that that helps the doctor's products to work better, oh, but wow. because the herbs are so supportive, their skin isn't dried out, their skin isn't red and reactive. They have a glow while at the same time working at, on your acne issues. Oh, wow. That's great to know. That's really great. Yeah, yeah because having dealing with acne is no fun. <laughs> it just no. Isn't. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Wow. If I, I just wanted to, if I could return to one of the points that you were talking about when you were talking about how as you were getting older, now you're listening to yourself more. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to also say like, so I am 40, I just turned 44. And um, I, I I was going to say that, you know, when, when you were speaking, 
you made me think how a lot of women who grew up in our generation, like Gen X women, mm-hmm. are, were really, really, really taught not to listen to ourselves. Yeah. You know, socialization for us was like, throw everything that you intuitively know mm-hmm. and listen to the man. Because the man knows and you don't. And if you don't listen to the man, you're just going to be a social pariah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really feel like with women of our generation, like, learning to listen to ourselves has been a really difficult thing to do. Mm. And I think for the majority of the people I know, my friends and myself, I only really started really trying to learn myself, listen to myself because of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. I was shut in and I had to, I I got into spirituality as well. And I started really trying to listen to what that little voice inside me was saying instead of trying to like listen to all the layers outside, which was trying to tell me something else. Wow. And so so I'm just saying that I think that, you know, it's it's I hope that younger people have it easier than than us, but as far as I know, you know, growing up like the idea of listening to myself above like my teacher or my parents or whatever authority figure was ludicrous. So mm-hmm. no wonder it took me so long <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to listen to myself. Well, and I, you know, I mean, I did have a really great mother who always mm-hmm. gave me the best advice, but the outside world was extremely, I mean, I was very, very vulnerable to the messaging that I was getting, especially because I was yep. wanting to be an actress and wanting to be, chosen and 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 it's funny because this this wanting to be chosen was a theme for obviously wanting to be chosen for work I wanted to be chosen for love I wanted to be chosen Mm -hmm. and I wanted you know to to feel that I had value and unfortunately Mm -hmm. my value I was told that because I'm a woman my value came from my physical appearance and I had, you know, it, I, I was mixed. It was like a mixed bag because here I was the six foot blonde bombshell and people would always mm-hmm. say to me, oh, you should be a model. You should be a model. And so then when I pursued modeling, everybody in the industry was like, uh, no. <laughs> and so, Aww. you know, I mean, it was like you have the, the regular world saying one thing and then the Hollywood world saying another. I do think it's interesting, though. I got <clears throat> the first time I ever worked on Days of Our Lives, I was hired as a model. And that surprised mm-hmm. me. Because I don't mm. have the body of a model. I never really did. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, I wound up playing a cop. That That's what they settled on. But, um, mm. you know, and as you, you know, 2020 is also when I started kind of going down this spiritual journey. And I just wish, I wish there was a different word than spiritual. Um, it's it's yeah. not religious. It's just more of a look in and a questioning of why we're here and all of that. Um mm-hmm and being very open to the possibilities, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. taken me. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, I talked a little, I have a patrons only show and I was talking on that today about how I recently discovered that the biggest, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had my entire life is believing in myself. And, you mm-hmm. know, while there's been that confident side of me, there's been that other side of me sabotaging the confident side of me. Mm-hmm. And um, only now at this age am I really starting to understand and then embrace my strengths and not feel like I have to apologize for who I am it's crazy and then you know you tie that in it sounds kind of trite but I swear it's a thing 
you tie that in to the way you take care of yourself, whether it's skincare or beauty or anything. And it makes a huge difference because it's like you said, when, if, if you are not taking care of yourself, you're not going to have the energy. You're not going to feel valuable. You're not going to see why anyone else would care about you. And so it has to start from within. And I think that's so important. Um, and that's why Mm -hmm. I think it's good to talk to you and, and just outside of your line, I'm curious, what is it Mm -hmm. like for you right now to be an Asian woman living in this country, especially after Mm -hmm. COVID? Um, how, what is that like for you? It's really hard. (laughs) I I would assume. It's really hard. (laughs) It's hard because you go out on the street and then the next moment you're like, is somebody going to like shoot me because I'm Asian? Is somebody going to spit at me because they think I caused COVID? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of these things have happened to me personally, but they've happened to people that I know. Yeah. So you're always like walking around with this body and wondering, you know, what are people going to do because they aren't happy with you wow. uh, because of what you represent to them. Yeah. It's also really hard because I find like, one of the things when I was an academic, one of the things that was a really important and research interest of mine were how black and Asian communities could form alliances and mm-hmm. to get along. And I came up with this because I told you I was a post-colonial studies professor. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work into studying the history of British colonialism, especially in Singapore and Malaysia, where I'm from. And studying the history of colonialism led me to also study anti-colonial resistance all around the British Empire. So I studied a lot of stuff in particular about Africa. And that's when I started seeing, you know, people that I started understanding why people of color have so much in common Mm -hmm. and how, you know, what we should be doing is working together instead of fighting with each other. But there is so much fighting with one another. And I think, you know, COVID accentuated that as well. I mean, we're all these disparate communities, all basically trying to fight within white supremacy. And then we start like fighting with each other because we see each other through the lenses of white supremacy. Yes, Yes, that is so true. And that's exactly, you know, because here I am and I just don't like the patriarchy, but I still, even at this age, feed into it because because it has so successfully played on my insecurities. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you grow up and you have a history of thinking, you know, it's, it's grooves in your brain. You've got these grooves yep. in your brain that have been set by the, you know, you've thought something so many times and it yep. just solidifies. And then and then, like you say, you start to view the world yourself and everybody else through that lens and it's yep. so damaging and uh, wow and then I'm also just wondering real quick how you're feeling mm-hmm. about what okay where we're headed obviously and I just want to preface this by saying yes we are seeing really awful and horrible things happening we're also seeing some good and positive things happening yes. pro de- po- yes. pro democracy so it's really yes. right now we've got a good mix of both and i'm yes. just wondering what you're thinking as far as where the country's headed so my thought on this is that history hasn't been written right mm-hmm. and so we don't know what's going to be in the future and because we don't know what we don't know what's going to be in the future because there's so many of us that are making that decision together mm-hmm. 
right? It's not like I want something and I can make something happen. It's not like you want a government to be in power and you can make it happen. It's all of us mm-hmm. working together as collective. So my answer to that question, where are we headed? I think it really depends on what we as a collective choose. Yes, I agree. So if we as a collective choose to stand up for a global democracy, to stand up against right-wing authoritarianism, because we learned the lessons of the 20th century and the 19th century and the 18th century, things will be great because like, <laughs> we, we, we see so many pockets of hope already. We could also choose as a collective to live in fear mm-hmm. and go down, go down, you know, the the path of where we, we where we don't want to see things. Right. The answer to the question is: I think at every point there is light and there's dark, mm-hmm. and what we can only do is to pin our hopes on and work towards the light that we want. And if we can convince more people to share in our light and partner in that light with us then we can hopefully create the, his, the, the, the version of a future that we want. But well, nothing said in stone yet. Yeah. All we have is the power of ourselves in the present now to work with what we have and convince others to join us. That's such a great and beautiful answer. And what I want to add on to that is so many times it's very easy to get discouraged, especially when you're on social media and yes. you, you, you're seeing people who are anti-democratic who have paid to be you know uh, amplify they pay for amplification especially now on twitter Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they say things that are intentionally meant to make you feel like there's no reason to fight there's no reason to push for a better way to live and i just want to throw in there that there's always uh, like each person has a ripple effect so even if you know even if it's literally just a vote, your vote is going to have an effect. Even if the effect isn't what you want, even if you don't get, you know, if you vote for a candidate and that candidate doesn't win, it doesn't mean your vote was in vain. It doesn't mean you wasted your time. It just means you have to vote again. It just means that we have to keep, you know, keep going, keep, that's what democracy is all about. It's not a one-time vote. It's not a one-time, oh, I I tried and it it didn't work. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's something that, we all have a tendency to feel so small and insignificant, but truly, I mean this truly, we are not. We are very powerful individually. And then when we decide, okay, I'm not going to allow these you know, trolls on Twitter or whatever it is to convince me to get out of this, uh, I don't even really want to call it a fight, but you know, just this push for democracy that's got to be constant, ongoing all the time, um, recognize that we, you know, you're not alone and that we are all, you know, there's many of us who do want to push for, a, you know, beautiful global democracy and, and American democracy and all of that. And so just use that, use the idea that, you know, I'm here, you're there. If you're out there feeling alone, there are other people who are like, yes, we, we also have our moments of feeling mm-hmm. insignificant, but if we just push through it, I think, you know, like you said, there's lots of there's lots of hope and there's lots of chance for I mean, I like to keep the optimistic attitude because I just feel like what's the once you take on we've lost, uh, you know, a negative attitude, then what's the point? Why bother? Yeah, (laughs) I completely agree. And I just also wanted to emphasize one of the points that you were making that. You know how you were talking about how, let's say somebody voted in an election and it didn't go their way and they're like, what's the point in voting? There's no point anymore. And what you're saying, the answer is to keep voting. 
I completely agree with that. And I also think it also extends to every aspect of mm -hmm. our daily existence, right? So for example, let's say that an incident, uh, let's say a, an uncomfortable incident happened to me. Let's say somebody was unkind. Mm -hmm. Let's say somebody was rude to me or something. So what I could do in that instance is that I could take that unkindness and I could make it part of a larger narrative about somebody being racist to me or somebody being sexist or whatever. Or I could also take choose to possibly show the person some kindness and grace mm -hmm. in that incident. And choosing, and I, I won't say this, I do this every time, obviously, <laughs> but in that moment, I have a choice in how I respond. I have a choice in how I take that and how I want to show the world how I react to that incident or progress of my life. I have the choice to like create a little a, a ripple effect of a little more hope, yeah. of a little more positivity, right? And that is every single day. You mm -hmm. have these tiny little moments where you can choose to be, you know, the light that you want to see in the world. And we can't always, you know, we don't always do it, but we right. always have choices mm -hmm. in these tiny little incidents every day of our lives. Other than just voting, again, you can vote with your actions as yes. well. That, that's that's absolutely true. And I mean, it's like what you're saying right now is literally the stuff I'm just spending my time, I don't know, not, I don't like to say research because I'm not really researching mm. it, but just like analyzing and thinking about. And um, so I just, I love what you said. It's 100% correct. And what a fascinating guest you are. I, I think your company is amazing. Your products are extra amazing. And I'm, Thank again, you. A, I'm not being paid to say it. And B, <laughs> They really are. They are truly wonderful products that make your skin feel amazing. Um, now, before I let you go, a couple of things. A, do you have anything that you want to add? Uh, I would say thank you for having me on. And also thank you for doing what you're doing. I think that you are giving a tremendous gift to your listeners. And I'm really grateful that your podcast exists. So oh, thank well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and so how about tell everybody where to find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Adeline Co. And you can find Sabbatical Beauty, my company, on Instagram, on TikTok as well, Sabbatical Beauty. It's also known as Beauty is Political. TikTok is where we do more of the political stuff. Instagram is where we show more of the cute, pretty pictures. <laughs> you, can also find, you can also find us on Facebook. And we have a very devoted, dedicated Facebook group full of people who really care about politics the same way that your listeners would care about so please join that group and we also are on pinterest and youtube awesome well i have in the patreon description of this show i have your twitter as well as the sabbatical website um of course i'm author kimberly on twitter but i'm also kimberly johnson l-e-y don't forget the extra e in my name on spoutable and I don't even remember what I am on Instagram. <laughs> so I, I, have, I have two and I only use one. And of course, I don't remember which name that is. So whatever. But um, it was just it was a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.